This is an ABC News special. COVID-19, what you need to know. From ABC News headquarters, here is correspondent Aaron Katursky. Coronavirus has made us a nation of shut-ins. For at least the next two weeks, Americans have been urged to leave home only when necessary. Work from home. Learn from home. Socialize virtually from home. As President Trump said today, enjoy your living room. This is all part of a global effort to restrict our interactions, to flatten the curve, to slow down the spread of novel coronavirus. Dr. Angela Baldwin is a resident physician at Montefiore Medical Center in the Bronx and a member of our ABC News medical unit. These social distancing policies are essential. Absolutely. So we need this in order to stop the spread of the disease. If we don't do this, then it's going to continue to spread. And we're going to see that spike where we get cases that are above what our healthcare system can handle. So it's dependent upon all of us to not only do our part for our own health, but also because there are other populations that are more vulnerable. And so you don't want to be spreading the virus to other people, such as the elderly or those who are immunocompromised, who can really have severe reactions to the disease. And to spread out the so-called spike, not so we don't overwhelm hospitals. Exactly. Flattening the curve does exactly that. Not only do we see a slower increase in the rise of cases, but the cases actually don't reach as high. So they're at a level where we can actually address the issue with the resources that we do have. What does it actually mean to self-quarantine or self-isolate? It's a good question. Those are actually kind of two separate issues. So when you self-quarantine, that's for if you've been exposed and it's suspected that you might possibly have the virus. And so if you've been told to self-quarantine, then you need to just go ahead and act as if you are infected. So that means it's not a staycation. It's not a family reunion. Don't uh, go over to your family dinner table and interact. You need to just minimize your exposure to everybody. You don't want to be in contact with anyone. Now, self-isolation is what you do when you have actually have symptoms, when you're sick. And it's also the same type of thought process where, again, it's not a time to interact with other people. You need to limit your contact. Uh, we're also joined, in addition to Dr. Angela Baldwin, by uh, Dr. Vinaya Kumar, who's a resident physician at the Mayo Clinic, another member of the ABC News Medical Unit, so crucial to answering all of our questions. We have heard on several occasions now that millennials may be the linchpin to the success of self-isolation. No one says millennials are the solution to anything. <laughs> Why are they key now as we confront coronavirus? It's a very good point. Very good question. Key thing to keep in mind is that the millennials, so what we're seeing right now is that a lot of millennials will have a tendency to gather in large groups and almost as a, uh, in contrast to what they should be doing against the guidelines of our CDC. In doing so, they are able to spread the disease, which may be minimally symptomatic or asymptomatic even. And when they go back from their specific vacation or bar outing and such, they'll spread it to their parents, their grandparents, their elderly neighbor, the people who are at highest risk. This is a way of spreading the disease in a way that's actually socially irresponsible. As people adjust to their new normal, they still have a number of questions. So uh, Drs. Baldwin and Kumar are here to answer them, and and we're taking these uh, from Twitter. We're taking them from listeners. One says, I am 69 years old and a receptionist at a healthcare facility. I am asked to screen anyone coming in, take their temperature. Should I not be going into work to avoid close contact I have with patients? Well, that's an excellent question. And it is kind of a difficult situation because we do want older people to kind of stay at home and 
as the president recommended, not go out, not interact with people. But if that's not an option for you, as it is for many Americans who don't necessarily have the luxury of not going to work, then she needs to take all the precautions she possibly can, washing her hands frequently for at least 20 seconds, you know, singing, as we say, sing the happy birthday song, making sure that she doesn't touch her face, her eyes, her nose or her mouth. Um, and basically doing whatever she can to boost her own immune system. So that means exercising, getting plenty of sleep to help make sure that she can fight off any time that she does happen to come in contact with the virus. Especially for healthcare workers, they, they are needed on the front lines of this. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, the more manpower we have to our healthcare system that can actually help triage and manage these patients, the better our entire healthcare system will be better equipped to handle the disease. Another question we're getting involves clothing. How long does the virus live on clothing because my job requires me to handle other people's clothes? Another good point. Unfortunately, we don't have the data to, so, to show that. We do know um, how long the virus will specifically last on certain surfaces, like copper up to four hours, steel, and uh, plastic up to three days. But honestly, with clothing, it's unclear. However, the key point to keep in mind is you wash your clothes frequently. That's the main thing, especially if you think you're going to be quarantined or are currently self-isolating. We're hearing a lot now as restaurants and bars are told to close down and move to takeout only about food. And what about the preparers of that food and possible contamination? Is it likely that we can contract novel coronavirus through the, the food that we eat? That's a good question. So at this time, there actually isn't any evidence that it can be spread through that route. Um, we know that it is spread through respiratory droplets. When people sneeze or cough, they eject those droplets through the air. It gets into somebody else's nose, eyes, or mouth. Or also if somebody sneezes and gets lands on a surface, somebody touches that surface and they then, again, self-inoculates themselves with that virus. But at this time, there is no indication that if you happen to ingest the virus, that, that you'll get the disease. Mm. But if you're getting a delivery, it might be a good idea to... Definitely. Always wash your hands. Wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. What about air purifiers? We have a question about whether they are helpful in any way if you're feeling sick and happen to live with someone else. Right. We do actually do get this question quite a bit. Um, air purifiers, let's just call look at HEPA filters, for example. They oftentimes... The, the, the particle size for the virus itself is actually smaller than what the HEPA filter can filter. So technically speaking, the virus can pass straight through. However, the virus doesn't just travel on a single, as a single particle, oftentimes travels in droplets and in larger, larger uh, particles. So maybe it could help. But the key thing that I would say about this is that you use your, your HEPA filter to also help filter out other allergens in the air. So if you are going to get confused about your seasonal allergies versus your coronavirus infection, might as well keep your filter on. By the way, my seasonal allergies are out of control, <laughs> and I feel like every time I sneeze, I'm judged for it. Um, As are we all. Yeah. You mentioned this, Dr. Baldwin, about exercise. Mm -hmm. uh, this question is, will exercise help fight the actual virus? Well, it will help boost the immune system. Studies have shown, as I mentioned before, that getting exercise uh, and proper rest can strengthen your immune system so that if you do come in contact with the virus, you can fight it off and not have such severe symptoms to the disease. Uh, you guys stick around for a little while, if that's okay? Definitely. To help Absolutely. answer some questions, Drs. Angela Baldwin, Vinaya Kumar, both of uh, whom are resident physicians and also members of the ABC News Medical Unit, uh, to help us all understand our best practices for 
coping with this new normal of self-isolation. Many of the steps are certainly painful because as more of the economy shuts down, we're learning Marriott is going to furlough thousands of employees. Airlines have said the same. Today, the White House asked Congress to approve an emergency stimulus package to help businesses and taxpayers. It is by far the most far-reaching economic rescue package since the 2008 recession. And so we turn to ABC's Karen Travers, our White House correspondent. What's in the what's in the package, Karen? Uh, this is what the White House is asking for, Aaron. And we should note this is round three. This is the third coronavirus request from the administration working out with Congress to inject money into the economy. And this is a big one. Eight hundred and fifty billion dollars uh, that the White House says is needed to lessen the impact of novel coronavirus. They're framing this as a tax proposal, not a straight spending package, you know, not just an injection of money out into the economy. Five hundred billion would come from the president's push still ongoing for a payroll tax cut 50 billion would go to boost the airline industry and 250 billion would go for small business loans that is just one part of what they're looking to do right now there's a bit of a headline from the uh, white house press briefing a few moments ago from the treasury secretary steve mnuchin said that the trump administration is talking to congress about getting checks directly to americans essentially giving people free money to help ease the economic pain that has already started just in these early stages of novel coronavirus. Mnuchin said the president directed him to act right now, and that does mean sending checks to individual Americans and to families. Uh, they think they could they want to do this within the next week or two. That's how quickly. And mm. of course, you know, Washington, things do not turn very quickly here in D.C., but the urgency that the Treasury Secretary was speaking with today and the critical nature of, they say, just trying to boost small businesses. I mean, it Look at your inbox right now. I'm sure everybody listening has somebody that's reached out to them to say the ice cream shop down the street is shutting down right now. The pizza shop is going to shift to just, uh, you know, pickup options. Businesses are hurting and the government, the administration realizes they need to do something and do it fast. Uh, the speed you speak of, Karen, is uh, astonishing. I was also struck by the Treasury Secretary affirming that the markets are going to remain open, mm -hmm. although perhaps with some adjustments. Yes. And, and this is uh, something that Wall Street, I think, was eagerly waiting to hear from the Treasury Secretary. The president, uh, you know, as he, we've talked about his shift in tone over the last 24 hours, he was still once again painting a rosy picture about the economy bouncing back, uh, saying, you know, don't look at the stock market right now, that once this virus passes through, the economy is going to pop again. And he and the Treasury Secretary still saying that the stock market will rebound. But right now, numbers still have been very dire and very concerning to Americans out there with money in the markets. ABC's Karen Travers, who covers the White House for us. There was new news on the economic front. Nordstrom is closing. Many other department stores may follow suit. Nobody is shopping cosmetics counters these days. Uh, grocery stores are staying open. Many of them are arranging seniors-only hours and no 24-hour openings. They need to restock the supermarkets which are limited in many states to 50 occupants at a time. They don't want people waiting in line, though, so many grocers are asking people to wait in their cars until it's their turn to shop. And we're joined from the National Grocers Association by the president and CEO Greg Ferrara. Greg, a lot of us have been staring at empty shelves and want to know how possible it's going to be to restock those shelves. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on. Uh, what I can tell you is the supply chain is working 
Uh, America has the most efficient and effective su- supply chain in the country. Uh, and stores are being refilled, uh, if not on a daily basis, sometimes multiple times a day. As you can imagine, our stores are uh, in, uh, experiencing what really has just been an unprecedented demand, uh, which we've never seen before. So it's taken a little bit of time to get the uh, product moving through the supply chain, get it through distribution centers, on the trucks, on the stores. But product is flowing. Stores are getting filled up. And uh, we're moving along in a, a, a good clip. What about those crucial products that everyone seems to be interested in? Uh, hand sanitizer, other cleaning supplies uh, that, that grocery stores are often responsible for stocking. Those items are coming in. Uh, we're seeing a larger uh, out of stock on some of those items as compared to maybe toilet paper and certainly food products. Uh, but the manufacturers are uh, working on those products. They are being made and they're getting them into supply chain as fast as possible. Uh, I was uh, talking with one of our retailers today. Their wholesaler had a truckload of uh, hand sanitizer coming in, and it was going to be allocated out to the stores that they serve. So you know, there won't be uh, pallets of it arriving to one store, but they're getting into the stores and they're getting it to people's hands as quickly as they can. What we would ask is that people certainly don't panic uh, and that people buy just what they need for that week. We have a lot of instances of people overbuying right now, and I think it's really important that we remain calm. You buy what you need for your family for the week, and the stores are going to be open. We're going to continue to get restocked, and we'll be there to serve you. We heard that message even from President Trump that he is urging people to buy less, not to panic buy. It, how much of a problem is that still in, in the stores that you're seeing, Greg? It's still a bit of a problem, um, though it is getting better. I think people are starting to hear those messages from the president, from the industry, from the media. We appreciate you guys helping us get the message out uh, that, that we're going to be okay, that you, you uh, are going to have grocery stores open, uh, we're going to have food on the shelves, we're going to have product on the shelves. We just need to let the supply chain catch up a little bit, and that is working right now. How many workers might have to be hired in the, in the industry to, to move that along? Well, what's actually happening in some of our stores right now, and this is just wonderful to see the community come together, as we see restaurants and bars and other service industries have to pull back, our stores obviously need the help. And so we have our members going out into the community and saying, hey, if you need a job, we are ready to hire you, even you know, certainly for a temporary basis. Come on, come see us, get an application in, and we'd love to, uh, love to hire you. So it's just wonderful to see the community come together. It's wonderful to see uh, our supermarkets be able to pick up some of that slack and help uh, people in their communities uh, continue to receive a paycheck. Oh, Greg, we appreciate it very much. Greg Ferrara with the National Grocers Association uh, telling us that there are products to restock the shelves. Be patient. A number of supermarkets are doing what they can, in some cases offering seniors-only hours so that uh, seniors are not put at risk by mingling with younger members of, of the population that may be carrying the coronavirus. In other cases, limiting the number of customers allowed in the store at any one time and keeping those shelves stocked as quickly as possible. We heard President Trump say that some of these measures are going to be with us for the foreseeable future, perhaps even into the summer, July and August, before he says the virus may wash through. I want to turn to Dr. Evan Evangelista because he's been taking a look at at the conditions that this virus exists in and, and whether the hot summer and the humidity may finally cause this virus to dissipate. Uh, Dr. Evangelista, thanks so much. What are you finding? Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, we've been studying coronaviruses uh, by TCR technology for the last eight years. Uh, 
And recently, a few years ago, Emory University actually published a very good paper on humidity and influenza virus. So I took a look at our own data, and we find that influenza and coronaviruses track very closely. Uh, they're winter viruses. They're very uh, active in dry, cool air, especially the cool air inside homes, inside buildings when there's heat on the relative humidity uh, is usually 30%, maybe 20%. So their studies show that if the relative humidity is above 50%, uh, and at, these, at this very small low humidity, the, the droplets that are transmitted by viruses dry up very quickly and can be transmitted over longer distances. But as the humidity increases, uh, the virus droplets drop out of the air very quickly. So droplet transmission is not as effective in higher humidity. So looking at our data, uh, for the last eight years, I was seeing that usually by mid-end of April, and occasionally first week in May, the, the numbers of coronaviruses dropped to zero, certainly less than 2%, around, around 1%. And so I started to make this correlation, and it seems logical that viruses should behave the same, whether it's a coronavirus, a normal cold virus, or the, the COVID-19. Uh, structurally, they look the same. They, they should behave the same. And we should see a slowing down probably towards the end of April, early May. Now, there's no guarantee that's going to happen. Obviously, the, um, spatial, the, the social distancing is important, uh, and, and also the quarantining is going to be important because you want to keep people away from each other because certainly by contact or by droplet transmission, those can both occur. So, But so, we're, we're all wishing for a... Uh, hot, humid summer, which is... That's uh, correct, yes. And there, there's always exceptions. You know, we know that in Miami right now there's a, a, an outbreak, but those people are being crowded in bars and restaurants most recently. And so, yeah, you can get, you certainly can get transmission by contacting people, hands and touching your eyes, touching your nose. But I'm just referring to the normal droplet transmission in the air as the air gets more humid, and, and the range is 50 to 80% humidity. Once you get into that range, uh, the droplets actually, the little bit of salt that's in a droplet from somebody coughing or sneezing increases, and it inactivates the virus, as well as it dropping out of the atmosphere very quickly. So normal transmission methods uh, work in our favor as it gets more humid. Maybe some good news in the offing. Dr. Alan Evangelista, thanks so much from St. Christopher's Hospital for Children in Philadelphia, the possibility that a hot, maybe humid summer uh, could help stem the spread of, of coronavirus. In the meantime, though, we are stuck with these social distancing policies that uh, are affecting all of us. And Dr. Vinay Kumar is here, resident physician at the Mayo Clinic, Dr. Angela Baldwin at Montefiore Medical Center, both members of the ABC News Medical Unit. Uh, in this time of, of isolation, what if you have a doctor's appointment, a dentist appointment, some something that has been on your calendar and is medically, I guess, necessary. What what do you do? The best thing is because each person's situation is different is to call their physician and see if it is something that actually can be postponed. Or maybe they can even do the appointment through telehealth, which is another great option. And only if the physician says it's absolutely necessary, they can direct them on the proper way to come in so they can minimize their exposure to other people who might be in the waiting room. Mm. Uh, th th that's a, an interesting point. Doctors' offices are having to shift things around a little bit. Exactly right. Um, oftentimes, a lot of the, uh, these uh, physicians' offices will actually require a patient to have some sort of triage process to ensure that they don't have the symptoms that could infect other people in the process. So uh, 
the current protocols are different than what we practiced six months ago. It's so interesting how fast all of this changes. Um, but should I go to the dentist for a cleaning or should I put that off? If it's an elective procedure that you can afford to <laughs> push off, I recommend you push it off. Same as anything else. Same as anything else. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, it's your own personal risk stratification that you have to live by. I was going to say, in, in, in addition to that, a lot of uh, surgeons have actually uh, mandated that elective procedures will no longer be done during this time, just for the reason that not only do we not want to expose patients to those risks of being potentially exposed to the virus, but also because it utilizes resources for those people who are getting those procedures done, like the masks, the gloves, that could be used for somebody who actually has more um, immediate needs. We keep hearing about this shortage of personal protection equipment, PPEs. Mm -hmm. uh, how serious is that from what you're hearing from, from different hospitals? You know, it varies from hospital to hospital, but I would say that on the whole, um, providers are being more cognizant of what uh, masks and gloves that they do use. And some have been told that, you know, they have to use the same mask throughout the day, as opposed to maybe in the past, they would have changed it more frequently throughout the day. Is that is that weird for doctors? It is unusual. In general, when you like to change your mask every time you enter in a into a room, um, since it just, it's just another thing you can do. It's a disposable mask for the most part. But um, now, at this point, we are running lower on supplies, and we need to accommodate accordingly. Mm. We have also heard new questions about whether doctors and other healthcare professionals who may have been exposed, um, what they should be doing. They, they, what they should be doing. They may be self-isolated, but there are so many shortages, not only of supplies, but of people in hospitals. What, what's best practice for a doctor? So a doctor should be actually communicating with their own occupational health organization within the institution itself. Um, for the most part, the general tendency is that you will be quarantining, self-isolating the same way you, the general public will do. But these hospitals that actually have these emergency preparedness plans in place in which they'll bring in providers from, for example, the outpatient setting, people who would typically just see normal run-of-the-mill patients in the non-critical setting to bring them into the hospital to help take care and cover those shifts. Also getting a lot of questions now as testing becomes the more prevalent buzzword, who should get a test? Where should you get a test? And, and how quickly are the results going to come back? Well... Those are all very good questions. Uh, let's start from the top. So who should get a test? Now, at some point, they decided that that can be left up to the doctor's discretion. But in general, if you've been exposed to somebody and you are having symptoms, then those are definitely grounds for um, having the test. However, if, you know, if you've just been exposed, but you don't displaying any symptoms, then at that point, you should actually just self-quarantine. Self and there's not actually an indication or reason to be tested at that time. But eventually, the goal is to test as many people as possible. Exactly. And as testing becomes more available, then, you know, we can hopefully get a lot more, better answers about who actually has this, this disease. As we mentioned earlier, um, a lot of people are asymptomatic. So there's lots of people going around who haven't been tested that might be carriers of the disease. And if we have more testing available, then we can even test these individuals to get a better overview arch of our view of who actually is carrying the disease. I know you're making a big push to get data uh, before the experts so we can start to understand these questions. Uh, Dr. Angela Baldwin, Dr. Vinaya Kumar, both from the ABC News Medical Unit, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for Thank having you. us. I'm Aaron Katursky, and you've been listening to an ABC News special. ABC News. Honored. 
winner of four Edward R. Murrow Awards. ABC News, America's number one news choice. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.